Hello and welcome back to another week's episode of Husky Talk. We are your hosts, Geneva and Frank. Today we have the executive director of the Yukon Quest here with us to talk with us about the famous sled dog race between Whitehorse and Fairbanks. Please welcome to the show, Marty Stewery. How's it going? Uh, Good. Hello, Marty. Welcome to Husky Talk. Thank you. It's nice to be on Husky Talk. Before we start our interview with you, we are going to test your Yukon Quest knowledge. We have five Yukon Quest trivia questions for you. Ready? I'm ready. What year did the Yukon Quest start? The first race was in 1984, and the organization started putting it together in November of 1983. Good job. Who was the first champion of the Yukon Quest? The very first champion was Sonny Lidner. The race started in Fairbanks, out on the streets, which um, happens on the river now, and finished in Whitehorse, just as the finish line paint was drying. Good job. Who has the most Yukon Quest wins? Ooh, the most Yukon Quest wins? Yeah. Uh, that would be, I believe, Hans Gott. We think it's Lance Mackey. Lance Mackey. Oh, Lance Mackey has four Yukon Quest wins on Husky Talk. How many Iditarod wins does he have? Four. four. Yes. And how many did he win together the same year? Um, four. Four. Nope. <laughs> he had, so he won um, three Yukon Quest races at the same time that he won three Iditarod races, but he won the others on the opposite ends of them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Next question. Who has the fastest finishing time? Gosh, I don't know. Alan Moore. Alan Moore. Was that his first win or his second win? No. Don't know. Okay. Okay, I think it was his second win. Who was the first woman to win the Yukon Quest? The first and only reigning woman champion is Alan Moore's wife, Allie Zirkel. Yeah. Good job on the trivia. You were four out of five. Now on to learn now on to now to learn more about you about the Yukon Quest. We're excited to have you on the show to tell our and to tell our listeners about the Yukon Quest. First Thank you of, for having me. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about how you are involved in the Yukon Quest? Well, so um, in 1983, I had just gotten out of the Army, and I had 23 sled dogs. And a friend I was in the Army with that worked at the vet clinic there was helping some new friends get involved uh, with putting on a new dog race, which is now the Yukon Quest. So for the first five years, I was the executive director of the Yukon Quest, and then I um, left and did other things and came back in 2009, and this is my 11th Yukon Quest this time for a total of 16. So in a way, the Yukon Quest is kind of like my first board. So we know the Yukon Quest is a thousand-mile race that goes from Fairbanks, Alaska to Whitehorse in the Yukon Territory in Canada. Can you tell us how the race got its start? So the, the Yukon Quest actually 
um, follows um, almost entirely old mail trails because for over 10,000 years in the north, there's archaeological evidence that shows where man and dogs have been each other's partners in life, in doing chores, and um, where everyone else lives, they have grass on the ground and the horses can graze, but we can't do that up here. But our dogs can eat our grain, they can eat our fish, they can eat our meat, so they're the ones that we spend most of our time with. And now the Yukon Quest it has, was put together to commemorate those old mail and supply trails that go from Fairbanks to um, Central, and from Central to Circle, and go on the Yukon River from Circle all the way over to Eagle, and then cross the border and go into Dawson City in the Yukon where the Klondike Gold Rush was. And community by community, that's how the mail and that's how supplies were shipped to people in the winter because the rivers freeze so solid you can't put boats on them. Does that make sense? Yes. We were, um, before this, we had social studies and we're learning about the history of dogs in the north, in the northern part of Canada. And we were just talking about how they were used as mail carriers. Mm-hmm. Yep, we have postcards that actually show, um, but it was well before that, but uh, postcards that go back as far as 1902 that show um, dog teams with supplies and with mail. As a matter of fact, um, if, if they're sort of like our Pony Express of the North. Have you done in your social studies, have you learned about um, the Pony Express? Not yet. Okay. So you'll learn about it. It was across the West where there were, where there were rest stations, cabins, and fresh horses, and people could ride and take mail and go from the Midwest all the way over to the West Coast. And so that's something that we've been doing up here for thousands and thousands of years. In the quest, you have to travel from the U.S. to Canada or Canada to the U.S. How does this work? Do the mushers have to carry passports? Is there issues with the dogs going across the border? As a matter of fact, there is. That's a very good question. So, um, but to prevent getting stuck at the border, all of the mushers and all of the dogs have their passports and their health certificates reviewed well in advance. Like we just got back from the U.S. Customs, the approval for all the names that we gave them of the mushers and the race officials and the veterinarians and all the people that helped put the race on. And I think they're still waiting to get the confirmation back from Canadian Customs because even though this is a race and it's one event, being in two different countries, that makes it an international event and you still have to clear customs. The dogs don't have passports, but they have health certificates. And when the musher goes from one country to another, they don't check in right there in the middle of the river and nowhere. They check in with customs at the first community they get to on either side of the border. Can you talk to us about the checkpoints? Like how many there are um, in, in the distance between each? So um, the overall race, counting the start and the finish, has 11 checkpoints. 
because when the team starts, someone still has to check their gear and uh, record what time they start or at the end of the race, what time they finish. So those are checkpoints as well. But if we take the start and the finish out, there are nine checkpoints along the race and they've got different um, distances between them because these are all towns that are there along the race route. So they differ between 70 miles by trail to 150, almost 200 miles um, at one of the checkpoints. So there's nine in between the start and finish, but two of those checkpoints aren't even towns. They're actually mining claims where in the summer miners are working them and they have a great big gravel pit and we bring trailers and park them there, great big trailers, and turn that into a uh, checkpoint until the mushers have come and gone. How do the mushers get the supplies they need out on the trail? So one of the things about being in a race, it's different than going on an adventure of your own where you have people that can help you and can do different things. One of the things about being in a dog race is you have to be responsible first for your dogs and then for yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your dogs. So before the race, long before the race, you sit down and you plan how many meals and how many snacks and how many booties, how many dog coats, how many spare socks of yours, Please remember to bring a toothbrush, uh, how many extra sled parts, or all the different things that you need. And the mushers sit down and plan very carefully, looking from one checkpoint to the other, what they're going to need to carry with them because they can't get any help from anybody. This is about being independent and being able to take care of yourself and your dogs just like they had to for thousands of years. And then they pack all that into... 40-pound bags, uh, which is kind of like the, it's about the same weight as a bag of dog food, okay, but in big poly bags that are tied up that have their names and the checkpoint on them. And they turn those into us, which they gave them to us a week and a half ago. And so we take those, and then we split them all up by the checkpoints they're going to, and then we drive them or fly them to the checkpoints. So they're sitting there waiting for the mushers with straw, with hot water, with a good meal, with fuel for their cookers. So when they get to a checkpoint, they have a way to take really good care of their dogs. And the vets are there and the officials are there and, and they, they help them um, answer any questions that they may have as they work their way down the trail. Some of the rules in the quest are a little different from the, from the uh, Diderot. For example, mushers are able to have handlers at some of the checkpoints. Can you talk to us about this? So, so the biggest difference is the Iditarod, there are no roads to get to it. So the only way that you can see a musher out on the race is to fly. And that's the biggest difference. So in the Yukon Quest, most of our checkpoints are by road. So the mushers can drive their truck with their dog boxes to the checkpoints so that when the musher gets there, if there's a dog that, um, that got sick or doesn't feel good that they want to drop, then the musher works with the veterinarian and they make the decision that they're going to go ahead and drop a dog and the vet then the veterinarian then gives the 
dog to the handler who takes care of them for the rest of the race. But that way they can follow the musher along the trail. They can't help them. Just like in the Iditarod, you cannot get any help. But they're there to cheer them on and to um, make sure everything is okay. And if for some reason the musher gets sick, um, we've had sometimes where people will get a cold or a flu and they just don't feel good and they can't take care of themselves or their dogs. So they will scratch out of the race, and their handlers with their trucks are right there so they can help them and get them packed up and take them home and, and take good care of them. So historically, there are usually much less people that do the quest than the Iditarod. Many people say the quest is more difficult. What are your thoughts? So my thought to this is where you're at and what you're doing and where I'm at and what I'm doing um, it's really hard to say that unless you're actually the one that has done the race. So here's what I know. It's a lot more complicated to do the Yukon Quest than it is the Iditarod because you do have customs, so you have to have a passport. And also, it isn't just that you and your dogs are running a 1,000 miles on, on the trail. Your trucks with your handlers and your dog box, they have to drive over 2,500 miles because they have they follow you until they get to the Yukon River where there's no more roads. And then they have to turn around and drive back and drive all the way around into the other country and be there waiting for you. And then they can follow you to the checkpoints all the way down, with the exception of Dawson City in the Yukon where for 36 hours the musher can rest and the handler can help the dogs and love on them and feed them and exercise them and just spoil them rotten for 36 hours. One of the toughest climbs of the race is the infamous Eagle Summit. Can you talk to us about this section of the trail? So actually, the um, it is infamous, Eagle Summit, but right next to it is uh, Rosebud, which for whatever reason ends up not really talked about, but it is as difficult of a climb. And the thing that's interesting is we always think about climbing mountains and how hard that is, but you know... Going back down a mountain is sometimes way more difficult because now your gravity is helping push you down and you have to control and slow your dogs down and your heavy sled so you don't go sliding down and crash at the bottom. What else would you like the listeners to know about the Yukon Quest? I would like them to know, most importantly of anything else, about family and about how much we love our dogs. Because a lot of you have dogs or cats or pets and you know how special they are to you and how much they mean. We're the same way. We just have more pets and we have more dogs. But each one of them is like our best friend and to have the honor and the privilege to be able to be in a race like this with this much country and this many this much space and to pull into a place after hours or days on the trail and be met by a small community that is um, feeding you and welcoming you and giving you a place for your dogs. It's like having a thousand mile long family that's there to put their arms around you and welcome you and cheer you on. And that's the part that's so hard to show on the computer or on the internet. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
now the next part of our show we call lightning round. We have five questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. Are you ready? I'm going to try to be ready. Go ahead. Alaska or Canada? Alaska. Yukon Quest, 1,000 or 300 mile? 300. Favorite musher? No, no answer. <laughs> favorite book? Oh, favorite book. Oh, so many. Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, Harry Potter. Favorite song? Go North, you Huskies. We are asking all of our guests who are who are three people you feel would be great guests on our show. Three people who would be great <coughs> on your show. Gosh, Ali Zirkle, uh, Alan Moore with his Arkansas accent, and um, Ryan Olson. How can people follow the race? People can follow the race by going to our website, which is yukonquest.com. And I don't think you can access it from school, but at home, if you um, go to our website, you can see the map and you can follow the trackers. Every sled team has a GPS tracker attached to their sled. And you can go to the map and you can see our sitting dog logo bounce up and down and you can follow the mushers on that and then on Facebook there's stories and there's pictures and there's videos that make you feel like you're right there except you're not freezing you're at home where you're warm and you don't smell the stinky mushers and dogs we can do that at the school oh that's great then it gives you a chance to just feel like you're there but be warm and cozy where you're at and where are you <coughs> Uh, Manage, Iowa. Iowa. My goodness, we're a long ways from home. Yeah. Thank you so much for the information on the Yukon Quest and for being on our show. We hope the quest runs smoothly this year. We will be following you. Fantastic. Enjoy your race, you guys, because it takes a thousand people to go a thousand miles. And now you guys are all part of those thousand people. Here's to a great race. Bye. Bye bye. Email time. We have our first email from Melissa Grover. Thanks for interviewing Monica Hendrickson and talking about the Bear Grease Marathon. I hope you get to enjoy following the Bear Grease in class this week. I love your podcast. I think I've listened to every episode. I would second Monica's suggestion of interviewing Julia Cross. She will be running the junior I did route this year for the first time. She's also handling for Laura Nice. Hopefully I got the email address right. I wasn't sure if the one was spelled out or not. Keep up the good work, Melissa. Teacher and Bear Grease volunteer and a friend of Miss Montgomery's from Idurdura Summer Camp and a fan of Bug and her puppies. Special thanks to our guest, Marty Stewery, for being on our show this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please stop by iTunes and leave us a review. It helps with our ratings. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or people you would like to hear on the show, email us at huskytalk1 at gmail.com. If we hear from you or you leave a review, review we will read it on the show. We would also like to give credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, the Iditarod Trail song. Marty's favorite song is Go North, You Huskies, which we can't find, so enjoy a clip from the song North to Alaska.